this is Anthony J. Resta, and I'm here with Tyler Chester, um, who is, I'm so excited to have on the show. Um, a record of, that he produced with uh, Madison Cunningham Revealer is up for uh, some Grammys this year, and I guess a couple of Grammys last year on another project, but that's a life-changing record for me, um, sonically and viscerally, and I am just dying to get into it with you about that, and there's so much more we can go, but let's start start off with that. Oh, Great amazing. To you and thanks. Great to thanks meet for, you. For I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, so the first time I heard Hospital, I, I was in shock because I haven't heard anything that original and, and refreshing and, and cool for so long. And it was every aspect of it. It wasn't the, just the sound of it. It was the, the writing, the, the lyrics, the melody. So I guess we have to kind of go back and get a little history. Tell us a little bit about, I know you've been working with Madison for many years. Let's like kind of rewind a little bit with her and tell us how sure. that all started and we'll go, go on that. Yeah, so I met Maddie when she was 16. So I've known her almost 10 years. I think in January it'll be 10 years. Um, I, I knew her dad a little bit before that. He worked at this um, church that I used to play at when I was in high school. Um, so I just knew him through the years and then eventually he reached out and asked me, to meet with his daughter and I kind of thought like this sounds like a bad idea you know <laughs> like ch- church kid record yeah that doesn't sound yeah. like I want to do that yeah. but eventually he, he asked me a couple times and, and then I finally met with her and the first thing she did when when she sat down she was really nervous really really quiet and she picked up a guitar and she kind of played this like G suspended but in this way that seemed so advanced for someone who like is essentially self-taught and yeah. right away I was like, there's something here. And then she played a song and it was like, oh my God, it's like, it's already there. Yeah, you know? So that early you could see it. Immediately, yeah. And then and then I just, I've been very lucky to, to be in this um, position with her of like mentorship um, and, and just really helping sort of guide her along her way, you know? Well, I mean, you know, Maddie is uh, all the things I love about her I mean I hear like this Joni Mitchell influence um, you know with the open C tunings and and the the incredibly deep poetry like there's a song uh, on the previous album um, I I can't it's not coming to me right now but her lyrics just like sometimes they make me cry I mean and that's rare I mean yeah she's good at that she she really has a special gift and um, yeah it's I'd like to you know get inside of some of the things that you guys did on the new record I mean the the I don't even know where to begin. The sonics are just so rich and deep. And I see in some of your Instagram posts, you, you work with analog tape here and there. And get, why don't you give us a can, little yeah. overview, a little overview of your process? Yeah, um, I definitely like to do tape when possible. Um, usually it's when it's not possible, it's a budgetary thing, obviously, because yeah. it's so expensive now to do it on tape. But sure. then uh, even then, I like to even on Pro Tools really treat it like tape like we're, we're tracking here today and we just did you know four passes straight through as takes you know as a band that's definitely everybody playing together everybody playing together yeah and and live vocal is is usually very important for me there's exceptions how do you iso- how do you how do you isolate the live vocal um it depends like on maddie's first record we did at sonic ranch and they built us some giant baffles and we built a hut you know and we put her in into the hut i see um or sometimes, it, depending on on the type of music, you know, just live with it, just yeah. accept accept it, you know, accept it, like the old records that we love so much, like the old know? records that we love, exactly, yeah. And I've learned, I work a lot with with this engineer David Boucher, um, okay, who's incredible. He he did uh, Maddie's first record with me and some some of this new record, um, and I've learned so much from him about like 
you know, getting the acoustic guitar and the vocal to sound right and be in phase, you know, just little oh, tricks wow. of how to get away with that, you know, cause, cause the live thing is so important to us. Wow. That's, that's part of the, the energy that she, she has in you. That's the best way to train. You, have you ever tried doing one from like, okay, let's just do a, a vocal and an acoustic guitar and then build around it. Have you ever done it that the old, you know, the, yeah, and, some, and no, sometimes I'll do that. It's, it's kind of depends on, again, kind of on resources to put a band together or, because I play a lot of instruments, so sometimes it's like I'm gonna have to play everything. So then yeah. we'll start more like someone playing, and I'll play with them, and then we add from there. You know, sure, sure, I, wonderful. I mean, the, some of the sub sub lows, like on the floor toms and the kick drum and stuff like that. Can you give us a little information on like some of the how you treat like some of the subs and stuff? They do some really deep, rich stuff that kind of reminds me of like the early Fiona Apple. Um, you know, oh yeah, that kinda, that's a good catch. You, that song in particular, um, Hospital, um, is Matt Chamberlain. Okay, um, well, that explains that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all you need to know. Uh, and and D- David Boucher, on, on that recording session, we were at Sunset Sound 3 for that. Um, and he had kind of had this theory of, of trying to make the center point of the drums be exactly like the kick pedal and where the snare hits. So, like, oh, image, wow. image-wise, he's, he tilted the whole thing. It sounds subtle, but it, like, really made a difference where, like, the the center of everything is, like, right there, you know, like, the clarity. That is, that's really the kind deep. of stuff that I'm, I'm look really interested in hearing yeah. about. I mean, it's, it's subtle, but it's, it's, it's massive, you know? And it, and what I love about that song is it's, there's so much space in it, but yet it sounds really slick and well-produced and, like, expensive, like, you know, it's like, that's, that's a really tough thing to make happen because you yeah. know usually when you get overly slick you know you lose a lot of that grit you know but this that record just captures all of it and i'm, I'm just i've been i haven't been stopped talking about it everybody i i come into contact with i bombard <laughs> them with <laughs> yeah i love that um, i mean another thing with maddie's music is because their guitars are all so low they're basically all baritones so yeah. everything, everything just comes down you know the yeah. bass tends to live lower and the drums kind of come down underneath it you know that's so cool do, with the bass do you, do you end up like muting like a lot of the tones to make it not like conflict like do you use like you know like felt underneath the strings or anything like that you know that kind of old school yeah yeah i kind of just play that way i'm pretty sure that yeah um song was this k bass i don't know where it went um that's just flats and it's just there's no top at all you know it's just like oh i love thud, those k basses like show crow used to use yeah yeah right yeah yeah it's my favorite so so with the t- with the tape do you guys record it uh 15 or 30 generally um usually 15 so yeah so that song for better or worse was not on tape because we couldn't get a tape machine into sunset for some reason well it didn't it, well there's the proof in the pudding that it, it, yeah it, it didn't, i, I would and if you had told me you'd done it on tape i would have believed you <laughs> totally and, and i learned this lesson from there's an ep that of maddie's that happened when she first got signed called um for the sake of the rhyme and there's a song in there I called love that one yeah uh, beauty and the cliches that's the one that made me cry sorry i, I just oh yeah that's that it. song is so beautiful and so we were recording to the tape machine um like the 16 track two inch you know and it was really like Oh my God, this is amazing. And the tape machine failed midway through the take. And we only played oh that song, goodness. I think, three times, maybe twice. So it was yeah. like, it's a, t- it's a full take, you know? And the tape machine failed. So we just, we had the Pro Tools like live backup, you know? And yeah. so, so we're like, should we put it back on tape? And then we just listened to it. We're like, no, it's good. It's good. You know, sometimes the, the tape machine is just a tool and 
and it's another way of getting there and it's a really good workflow of course um but in the end it's like you just use your ears there's a lot of things about analog tape like I, I spent a good 15 years in the analog realm you know before i moved into digital like in the early 2000s and everybody romanticizes about it but a lot of people don't really remember that it takes somebody <laughs> with like a white coat and a yeah. screwdriver like hours to get it to work right and yeah. you know and not to be hissy and not to have problems with dropouts and you know so there's a lot of things about analog that are really tough that like the kids today that haven't experienced it they romanticize about this this thing and they think that like their squishy cassettes are doing it you know what i mean is there's a yeah. lot of misconceptions in pro audio about what analog really is and what it isn't and that's yeah. one of the things that that i really like to kind of talk a little bit about like there's all these you know all these guitar pedals that have the sort of this warped vinyl thing where um, you know, if things are kind of like warbly seasick and yeah. I, I will, I'll tell kids like the only time vinyl sounded like that was when you left it in the sun in the back seat too long. <laughs> yeah. When it was messed up, <laughs> exactly. but it's cool. I mean, I love to see the kids, like what they're doing on Instagram with the tape loops and you know, you got the little plant there yeah. and like, it's just, it's fun to see all this sonic exploration happening, uh, in the new generation, you know? Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I turned 40 this year, so I'm, I think I'm probably, like the last year that came up with the tape machine around, yep. like this first studio I worked at when I was in high school was all tape, you know. So it's like it's how I learned to record, yeah. um, and it it's very much affected like the way I record, whether it's tape or not. Just you know, I, I don't tend to like like if I'm going to overdub a piano, I don't really tend to play the piano like ten times and then cut it up. I just play it, yep. you know. And if it's not happening, then I just play it again. There you go. Um, and that's kind of always been my mentality, which comes a lot from like that I learned how to record on on tape. That's a valuable lesson for our people listening because uh, you know we get these we do a lot of fix and mix jobs where people send us stuff from all over the world and there's like 200 tracks and there's like 30 piano tracks like on top of each other and nobody comped it. Like yeah. you know lear learning to make decisions, I think is one of the things that a lot of the young people uh, they seem to want to put off everything till the end. Yeah, yeah, I've found that too. And and even when I work with, um, so I work with a lot of young artists who are making their first record or maybe their second record, you know. Um, and I always try to push them, like just like especially if they're good singers, just sing, just sing live. Don't don't get all caught up in like perfection or comping or whatever. Just like we're just going to sing. We're going to try to make this natural. We're going to try to not use headphones if possible. Whatever I can do to help it just remain like really. Easy and natural, you know, so that they're kind of working for their strengths. That That's such great advice as well. I, I, I worked a lot in Nashville with producer Peter Collins. He did work, a lot of work with the Indigo Girls and, you know, Bon Jovi and all these people. And, like, he's a old-school British guy, and he wanted to design a T-shirt that says, Sing, Don't Think. And, 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 and <laughs> yeah. he always said that thinking is the enemy when it comes to art. You know, it's like trying to capture a moment, a feeling. You know, a lot of times singers will, the yeah. first couple of takes when they're not thinking and they're just kind of feeling things out, that's when the magic happens. And then as soon as they start analyzing yeah. all their phrasing and all their timing and then they start like micromanaging the phrases, then all of a sudden you've lost the magic. And that's exactly what you're talking about. I love that. S sing, don't think. Yeah. <laughs> I'd buy one of those shirts. Yeah, me man. too. I think we, sh we it might be time to revise. I used to do a lot of keyboard programming and stuff for him, and I'd sit like uh, you know off to the side and just watch him with singers. And um, you know, there was one particular singer that just had a, like 
a little bit too much vibrato and it was kind of you know a little annoying and I had tried to uh, on some other songs that I produced I worked really hard on trying to get rid of some of the, the vibrato and this particular artist sang the first take and Peter gets to the end of the take and he goes lose the vibrato it's cheesy <laughs> <laughs> I love and it. it was gone. Yeah. And it was gone. I mean, it was like, you know, so that's the kind of, that's the old school record producer just, you know, says what he thinks. I mean, sometimes I, I, I lack in that department. Sometimes I'm a little bit too, trying to be too politically correct because we are in a service industry. We're trying to right, right, make right. people happy. You yeah. Know? So, but sometimes, you know, we can be our own worst enemy with that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I sort of see myself because I, I tend to work with a lot of like singer songwriters. Um, so people that are like, it's very important for their story to come through and it's very important for their personality to come through. So I see my job really is like trying to be their ally and, and push when they need to be pushed and challenge when they need to be challenged, but then also like kind of protect their vision. Even if they can't name their vision, I can start to help them see it sometimes and, and then just try to clear the path, you know? And sometimes that is like, you know, don't sing it quite like that. You need to, pull it back or whatever no vibrato that that's that's massive because it's like you're you're an enabler you're you're allowing them to do their best work but you're not really trying to dictate it into a something that's about you you know and that it takes a maturity to do that a lot of young producers have trouble getting out of their own way they you know they they don't know how to shut off a bunch of stuff during the mix and say you know I've got too much here. It's like they yeah. get so attached to everything, you know. And that's what I'm learning. And as I get older, is sometimes the the space is, is the magic, you know. I, I hear that in your recordings. So much maturity and masterfulness in uh, what you do. I'm just oh, thank you. Really, yeah, incredible. Well, yeah, the the uh, on that Maddie record, her newest record, my original concept that I mostly sold her on was that she should play everything, like everything, drums, yep. bass, just. No one would plan anything oh, wow. except for her, and that is the case in the first song. All I've ever known is just her. Um, wow! And then for a lot of reasons, we felt like on certain songs we needed more size or a real, you know, sure. professional drummer or whatever, like Matt, Matt Chamberlain. I'm like the best in the world. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, tell us a little bit about his setup. Like, what was that like? How many tracks did he play on? He played on. Let me think about that. In the end, he played on three. I think. Or okay. th- three that are on the record. Um, okay. And, I mean, he's just so perfect. He just sounds like him immediately. I've, I've played live with him a couple times, like at um, Walk- yeah. Watkins Family Hour at Largo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and hung with him a bunch of times, but it was the first time I recorded him. And it was, like, as good as I hoped. You know, he's such a, a legend. Um, but he gets in there. And, like, he's, like, in the song. He's really paying attention, like, to, in that case, to Maddie's guitar you know, yep. like really like concentrated. It's was, it was beautiful. I, I saw a video on YouTube of those two talking about like an anticipation on the end of four or something. And he's like really, really intense, yeah. like getting, getting into it. Yeah. Um, it was super cool. Super cool. I mean, he's one of my, you know, my heroes as a drummer. I started off as a kid as a drummer. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm very, I'm, I love the treatments, the Tom overdubs and like the, the, the little extras that you guys, do they're 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 just so subtle but yet they they add this incredible depth and dimension yeah i mean a lot of um a lot of maddie's stuff i mean i still even though she didn't play everything on the record i still would push her to basically play as much as possible because i can when i made her first record with her when she was 16 i i played way too many things you know i was like kind of like 
I don't don't think I fully understood. Like she should just do everything. Her pocket is incredible. She's a great piano player, you know, and she's, she's growing into this place now where like she, a lot of that stuff that that gives it that sense of space is more than uh, frequencies or EQ or anything is, is just like her brain. It's like, it's like an arrangement. The parts. It's the parts. The parts, yeah. yeah. The way they interlock and overlap, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that's, that's very, very Maddie. That's she, yes, it's amazing. There's another thing I saw in one of your videos on Instagram. Um, this is one of my notes. Is uh, I saw you making this uh, intro for the song "Anything" in seven um, with uh, an MPC two thousand, not a two thousand MPC Live or something. MPC Live. And yeah. you, the way you the way you chopped the samples and I mean you, you sounded like a modern hip hop producer the way you put that together. <laughs> and I was like, I, I'm an old fan. I have an MPC three thousand. It's been a big part of my workflow, you know, since the 90s you know since dr dre was around so yeah tell us a little bit about your background in you know mpc technology and that that sort of thing i I, uh, had this band for a while where i was um already making in basically in in ableton all these i'd cut things up and trigger them you know like uh samples of like a symphony orchestra or whatever um and i just i didn't want to be on stage with a laptop so i bought the mpc sort of Blind. That's incredible. Yeah. And then learned it. And I love it. Like, I can't, I really can't do anything without it. Even things that are like very um, analog, like tape, I'll, you know, instead of a click, like, I don't like to use click very much, but if a song needs it, what I'll do instead of just like, is make like a little loop or like some NPC loop. NPC loop. And then I can start it and stop it at certain points, you know? Yeah. Like, if we get to the bridge, I can just kill it. And it's kind That's of in real amazing. time. But it's also great for for things like that, just like sounds that are like sort of unidentifiable, you know. Have you have you ever met um, uh, Bruce Forat? Do you know Bruce? No. Okay, he has a he has a a shop. It's called Forat Electronics on uh, Ventura Studio City. I'll have to take you by there sometime because he is the inventor of the software in the MPC. Oh no, kidding! Roger Lynn in the early days. Wow. So he can tell you story after story after story. Actually, we should get him on here because he worked on old Prince's drum machines. Oh wow! I mean, the stories are just insane. But the MPC is a religion. I mean, it's like that machine has a soul in it, and whatever algorithm they used, you know, for the swing factor, is like nothing else. Yeah. and um, and it, it's it's become a you know it's it's actually been rediscovered and I see like more and more of it. It's like a, a resurgence. Yeah. And he has a new a new OS for the old MPC three thousand, which is uh, he updated it and it's it's crazy. Like it's just amazing. Yeah. You, it's a guy that you would love to meet sometimes. That's I cool. Was I'd love to meet by him. that. Yeah, he's really something. And th- so that tell us a little more about the song Anything. Like in, does Maddie naturally just play in 7 sometimes? I've heard a few of her songs. She, and yeah, what she I does like end about up it there. is it doesn't feel it doesn't feel proggy. It doesn't feel like like you're listening to, you know, a, a fusion band. It's it just feels like natural. How did how does she achieve that? Uh yeah, you're totally right. Um I mean, she has no training really, you know? So yeah. so every place that she gets is just kind of by playing guitar all the time like she plays guitar all the time yeah. when when she first moved to la she used to like keep this ukulele in the passenger seat and anytime she got to her red light she'd pick it up and play guitar and then put it back down you know she just never stops and she just kind of like stumbles into these sort of patterns and and circles and she's very good at not making it sound like a sting song or whatever it's like it's fluid yeah. and <laughs> and just beautiful Perfect. you know like like the yeah, that no, song it, pin it, it down you yeah. know where it drops beat yes but i think most people hear that song and don't 
necessarily realize that it's dropped a beat. That's interesting. I heard an interview with her one time uh, where somebody asked her a question about that, and she said um, she took it to a certain place, and then one night after a show, somebody had brought up the fact that it was like uh, they were, she saw somebody counting yeah like in, in the front row and she said uh oh that <laughs> yeah. means I gotta I gotta I gotta tone it back a bit yeah know? yeah exactly I thought that I thought, I thought that was a really uh, interesting thing uh, you see somebody like you're performing somebody's counting on their fingers that might be a tip that you need to like play back a bit <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> she seems so um so interesting and fascinating. I mean, the the poetry, like that uh, beauty into cliches. That poem, like without music, just like on the wall, is as good as it gets. I know. I mean, yeah, it, it sums up. It sums up. You know, like art. I mean, that's just massive. Like, what does she say? Like a to trying to put something, a, an ocean, to something the size of a cup. Yeah. You know, aren't we great at turning turning beauties into cliches? I mean, that's just. I, I don't know. I, I just I can't. I, I'm speechless, really. But um, I know it's that's such anyway, an ama- amazing song, and, and she wrote it. You know, she was like 18, I think, when she wrote it. She's already kind of getting me. into that headspace. Yeah, it's really amazing. Wow. Does she um, listen to a lot of Joni Mitchell? Do you think? I think she does her, now. She... But um, yeah. like when I met her, she didn't know anything. Like for for her high school graduation, I I gave her Revolver and Abbey Road, and she'd never heard the, wow. the Beatles. Like in her life, you know. So there, stuff like Joni Mitchell it just wasn't part of the way she grew up. So ne- since you know, since becoming an adult, she's taken all that stuff in and very deeply. I'm sure. That, another um, influence I read about in one of her interviews was XTC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I grew up with you know, uh, oranges and lemons, and what was the other uh, English settlement and yeah. and. Black Sea, so I mean, her influences are just like the best. So cool. Yeah, and Juana Molina. That I had never heard until I she mentioned it, and I, I checked it out. And that stuff is like, it's really out there, but it's super cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very cool and very out. Well, so what are you, what are you working on uh, these days? Like, can we talk a little bit about some some of your other projects because yeah, I, I know everything I hear. Um, I'm just finishing two records right now. One with this artist named Rhett Madison, who's an LA artist uh, via West Virginia originally, and she's okay. she's amazing. And then um, I'm also finishing this record with a singer named Elisa Amador from Boston, who won the NPR Tiny Desk this year. Oh wow! Yeah, that's crazy. I, um, I, I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. And and Elisa, both of them we did to tape. So the first one, um, Rhett Madison's record, we did at Sonic Ranch, which is my, my favorite studio on earth. It's the um, studio on the pecan farm in Texas. You heard about that place? Oh, wow. I've heard about it, yeah. Yeah, I love it there. It was like my 11th trip, I think. I go there as much as I can oh my gosh. go there. And they have a beautiful studer with, with a 16-track head stack that's, that's in pretty, pretty good working order. Um, so we did we did Rhett Madison's record to that, and then the month after that in November we did um, eight track one inch. I don't think you can see it, but behind me is a, oh my gosh a three M eight track. So it was all <laughs> all eight track, which is it was very exciting. You know that is so cool. Wow. Yeah. So um, finishing those up, and then um, I've just got some. Very cool miscellaneous things kind of happening between now and then. And then I, I do this um, thing that we call Bandcamp a couple times a year where we go to Sonic Ranch and we get like two or three studios and we bring out two or three complete bands and we record like a whole bunch of covers and 
So I have that coming up in late February. That sounds like a blast. That was that's so. Since you're recording these artists, like in these live situations, with actually some of the musicians you use, like Jay Bellrose and Ted Poor, are, are friends of mine. It's oh, yeah. like I was seeing this whole this whole circle of people that we both know. Yeah. As well, tell tell us a little bit about like what you look for in in a, in a pre-production setting because obviously you guys have to do some preparation, like a good amount of preparation if you're going to cut a band live, right? Um, how, how do you do that? I mean. Uh, most of the, most of the preparation for me is just songs. It's about the songs. Yeah. So I, I usually kind of feel like, especially if we're going to hire someone like Jay or Ted or you know someone of that caliber, I really want them to be kind of uninformed. I really want them oh, to to react. And, I got you. And not really have any preconceived thing. Just react, you know, because um, th- that's usually when they do the coolest shit. You know, they just sit down and the first thing they do is amazing it's magic yeah but but i've run into problems before if the artist and and me aren't on the same page so we have to be feel pretty good about obviously lyrics um the arrangement needs to be like pretty threaded you know but not not totally complete you know there still needs to be a little bit of room for push and pull um but i very much come from the the school of like like the risk reward quotient being highs like i'm i'm into that so i try not to have too much pre-planned before we start that's cool one of the one of the things that i always fret about is the tempo because sometimes like you know one or two bpm in either direction can really change the uh the whole outcome so how do you deal with that in a situation where you've got a bunch of people playing together uh, you know with or without a click i mean yeah is that that must be something you plan on in ahead of time yeah, I try to have have a ballpark. Um, I'm a big believer, especially for uh, singer songwriter kind of stuff, where it's like it hangs so much on the vocal and the vocal performance. Um, yeah. That as often as possible, I really want that to be sort of the spine of the tempo, like the pacing yep. of the vocalists and everything else to kind of like come from that. You know. Um, That's great. So I mean, it's it's come back to bite me a couple times where we get a song and it's like it's a little too fast, but. It's the take, you know, and I'm like, eh, I wish yeah. I would have checked that. But I've I've just gotten better at, at um, sort of understanding my own ears and my own sort of like temperature at the time and making sure that I'm like, yes, I feel confident about this, this tempo for our, our take, you know. And if I don't, then it's like, let's slow it down. A lot of times I find it helpful to just play the chorus, just groove the chorus, like everyone just play it, you know and then stop and then start the song so do you guys have you have you ever done a punch i mean i'm sure you have but a punch in on a whole take or do you demand that it has to be seamless Just um curious. yeah sometimes we'll do it if, if we're close um and a lot of times yeah. i'll take a couple takes and splice them you know take sure take the bridge sure. from take three splice it into take four something like that well, that's that's the way that's the way we used to do it on analog tape. My Bob St. John was the engineer I worked with for a dozen years or so, and he, we'd be standing there in the room. There'd be pieces of the song hanging on the wall, yeah, all that, over the that place. That breaks my brain when I've seen that happen. It's like, man, it's scary. There was one record that we spent forty days of drum editing. Oh, I've I've heard stories about those days. I'm glad I didn't come up in that era. Yeah, it it it's like. You lost the good bit. Where is it? It's in a pile <laughs> on the floor somewhere. <laughs> That's so heavy. Really, tell tell us a little bit about some of your favorite um, tools, like as a as an engineer or producer, like you know, like your favorite mic pre's, favorite compressors, stuff like that. Do you, do you have any preferences, or do you, you yeah have some go tos? Um, I mean, I finally 
bought uh, I was looking for one for a long time finally got a C37 this is my my favorite microphone that isn't like a $40,000 microphone um, wow so and I, and I bought it the same week that my friend David Boucher bought a C37 so they've those two mics have tended to live together at my studio here for the most part oh wow um, so I use those a lot like I've really I love those microphones um, and there's a lot of I, I share this space with my friend Justin Stanley um, so there's a lot of his gear in here in addition to mine so he's got like this I think it's a Neve Melbourne I'm pretty sure okay um, so there's some of that there's some like quite a bit of UTA stuff in here that, that we like um, I'm a very big believer in the tone of, of the instrument itself being a sort of like launching pad for people both for writing and for sure. performance so I have a lot of instruments here that that I I kind of know how to get them where I want them to be, you know? Um, or there's like a couple of people that are, will loan me like a great acoustic guitar or whatever, if it needs that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so much gear in here that, you know, I lack for nothing yeah. <laughs> in this space. That, well, that's one, that's wonderful. And I, I see you, you use a lot of flat wounds, uh, um, like on the K bass and, and, and Maddie's guitars, uh, her baritone is flat wounds too, right? Yeah. That, that's one of those, um, old style guitar rubber bridge baritone things. Have you seen those? Oh, wow. Yeah. No, no, I've heard about them. It's like the hipster shit. It's already over. It's like I already jumped the shark. It's like, it's on T- Taylor Swift records now. So it's coolness is waning, wow. but, but it is, it is a very useful guitar. That is so cool. So they, it comes with a rubber bridge. Yeah. Well, um, Ruben at old style guitar sort of mods them. So he'll take like the one that Maddie has it used to be mine. I gave it to her. Isn't it like just an old silver tone acoustic, like a hundred dollar acoustic guitar. Yeah. And then he, yeah. he gets the neck like really right. And then he puts a rubber bridge on the bottom and then he puts like a hot wire pickup um, so it's a really loud pickup with flat wound strings and a rubber bridge that's making every note like super super short and it's like the perfect wow. perfect combination so like that song Life According to Rachel on Maddie's record yes. that's that guitar amazing this this is the inside studio <laughs> secrets it's, 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 it's the, very the, pizzicato <laughs> sounding you know it's like very plucky yeah oh well you know I, I, I Brian Wilson you know like you listen to Pet Sounds I mean I hate to go there like because uh, of the, the Portlandia skit but you know <laughs> The, the, these keys were used at Pet Sound. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's always been a big part of like that that vibe. You know, that whole you know, it's it's not psychedelia for, per se, but it's just more like classic recording sounds and styles. Like he would see him in the microphone. Uh, the the Fender bass needs. He would, it was, there's, there's like an upright bass and a Fender bass. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I just love that aesthetic. And it, what's interesting is I hear that coming through in Maddie's music and your productions, but it's not like beating you over the head or two on the nose as they say it's very subtle you know and i just my my hats are off to you guys for uh thank you making making what for me was literally life-changing uh record i mean i i i i can't stop playing it and it's just oh, i love uh, that yeah a thrill 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 to have you here you know yeah well, thank um, you yeah I'm, I'm i'm gonna listen to the record again now thinking about some of these other <laughs> things yeah that we talked about and I'd, I'd love to meet you sometime for coffee or something right? yeah, yeah we got to go to that uh that guy's shop NPC guy yeah oh yeah yeah you gotta meet you gotta meet him yeah Yeah. wonderful man cool thank you so much for coming on absolutely this is Anthony J. Resta signing off uh, for Studio Secrets A to Z thanks for coming and we'll see you next time
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 